If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be opening to the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8. I appreciate uh, Ryan walking us down memory lane uh, during our time of communion this morning, and uh, I felt right at home, uh, right over here on the bench. Um, (laughs) I did get to play some, but uh, God had different purposes for me on the team. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful. I, it was kind of sobering that, that Ryan was in elementary school when I was on that uh, team. But uh, Ryan, I'm proud of the man you've become. I'm proud of the father you are. I'm proud of the, the husband that you are. And uh, it's a blessing to have gone to the same school together. Uh, today we wrap up Romans chapter 8. I've uh, stayed in Romans 8 as long as we can. Uh, and I would stay longer. Uh, but we have some more to learn from the second half of the book of Romans. Uh, so last week uh, we said that, that never abandon what you do know uh, because of what you don't know. And this is in, in relation to some of the, the truths that Paul is teaching us in Romans chapter 8 and has been teaching us throughout this entire uh, letter. There's, there's a lot of things that, that we don't know. There are things that sometimes we only know in hindsight. Uh, there's sometimes things that we will, will never truly understand and know. And even that, uh, particularly as it relates to suffering, uh, we unpacked some of the, th- the things that Paul uh, describes in his theology of suffering in, in Romans chapter 8. And I appreciate those of you uh, that reached out to me and just said uh, how impactful Romans chapter 8 has been in, in your own faith journey and, and how uh, you've been reading through Romans 8 uh, on a daily basis and, and letting that, that word just uh, permeate uh, your being. And uh, it's, it's, it's really been a beautiful passage for us to just camp out on for a few uh, weeks. And today Paul's going to give us uh, five rhetorical questions on which to build our life. Uh, some scholars would say that there's eight questions here in the Greek, and that may be true. Uh, we're going we're gonna to focus on five questions uh, because uh, eight-point sermons are exhausting, amen? Uh, but, but there's five, uh, I believe, primary questions here in the text uh, that, that Paul is going to ask, and, and, and these, each of these questions has implications in our a faithful journey as, as followers of Jesus. If we ascribe to the Jesus way, if we follow him, th- these are questions that, that we are going to have to, to allow to, to become part of our DNA, become part of who we are. So Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 31, if you'll follow along with me. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Word of God for the people of God. Oh, church of Jesus Christ, may we write these words on the tablets of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, for the next few moments, may we ponder these words in our hearts as Mary did in Luke chapter 2. And let the implications of what we just read go through the necessary digestive process that the nourishment of our souls so desperately need. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. So, a few uh, weeks ago, I was uh, getting off an exit ramp here in town, and uh, I made it to uh, the stoplight. And on this particular ramp, uh, on uh, the, the right lane, you can, you can turn right on red if it's safely to enter. Um, but on the second lane, you cannot turn right on red. You say, how do you know this, preacher? Because one of our wonderful members of law enforcement pulled me over, and he gave me a piece of paper memorializing the occasion. <laughs> so I, I spent a good part of yesterday uh, hanging out with my fellow citizens at a defensive driving course. And these were my fellow citizens who had made similar but erroneous choices. And the first thing that the, 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 the instructor does is that he gives us the, the, the book, the, the pamphlet, the, the thing that we're going to walk through. And, and he, he tells us to go to the very last page. And we go to the very last page of the book, and there's a test. And he begins to give us the answers to the test. He says number one is A, number two is C, number three is B, number four, and so on and so forth, all the way through the test. That was the first thing he did in class. He said, the reason that I do this is because I've been teaching this class for 40 years. And what I've learned is that people come into this class and they start thumbing through the book and they find the test and then for the rest of the class, they're worried or concerned about the test. And they don't hear anything else that I say. So I'm going to go ahead and get that off the table. There's all your answers. Now you can pay attention. Now we can have an honest conversation. He gave us all the answers. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, is going to give us all the questions. And he's going to give us the questions that are going to lead to the answers that we're going to build our life upon. And this is some of what Paul is doing. All of us were there for one reason yesterday. We broke the law. <laughs> Male, female, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, young, old, didn't matter. We were all there for the same reason. And we show up, and this gentleman gives us the answers to the test. Here's what uh, Paul's going to say. First question. If 
you're taking notes, I, I encourage you to discuss these in your small groups and have even deeper conversations. First question is this, is if God is for us, who can be against us? That's verse 31. Paul's not saying that, that nothing dangerous will ever oppose you in this life. Some of you know this to be true in your own life. You have a boss that seems to be against you. Uh, you, you go to, to school with people who seem to be against you. Maybe you have a, a, a spouse who's antagonistic. Maybe you have an addiction or a struggle that you just can't get rid of. Maybe it's a chronic health problem, an ongoing struggle with a child, someone who seems determined to make your life miserable. Can I get a witness from anybody in any of these? You and I experience situations where we feel like someone or something is against us. And Paul does not say that, hey, you're not going to face adversity, you're not going to face opposition. This groaning and suffering that Paul talks about early in this chapter is a real thing. Creation groans, he says. And he lives with the expectation that Jesus' words are true. What did Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Paul believes that statement. And beginning in, in chapter 3, all the way back uh, from several Sundays ago when we were in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 21, we, we see this turning point, but now, and Paul has uh, relentlessly been explaining this, this good news of the gospel. He plants the seed in chapter 1, and then he begins explaining it in chapter 3, uh, actually before that, but he, he, he makes this turn in chapter 3, verse 21, and he begins to, to unpack what this, this means, that he has shown us that through Christ we're, we're, we are believers who are justified before God. We're, we're reconciled to God. We enjoy peace with God. We're indwelt by the Spirit of God. We're not condemned before God. We're adopted by God. We have hope in God. We have help in the Spirit of God. We are called by God. We have the certainty that all things are working together for good for those who love God. And then chapter 6, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So, what do we say to all these things? I think Paul's answer is found in this question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Question number two is this, is that how will he not also graciously give us all things? That's in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. I want you to think about the, the biggest trip that you've been on. Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's a trip that you planned for for a long time. I was talking to some of you even before service about some, some places that you've been. Think about the biggest trip that you've planned on. The, the investment that it takes to, to go and, you know, to, to get the place and to get all the things in order, take the time off, you know, all, all of those things that happen. And imagine you getting to this place, whatever this place is, and you get to the place and, and you see a sign. And the sign says, parking, 40 bucks. Anybody experienced this before? And, and so you're, you see the sign and you just immediately say, okay, that's it. 
we're going back home. I'm not paying 40 bucks for parking. We're going back home. We're turning this thing around, and we're going back home. How many of us would do that? Some of y'all might. My dad might have done that. But some of y'all, how many of, you, how many of us would, would do this? Paul's saying that God has already made the big purchase at the cross, and he's going to take care of our parking. Why, why would the creator of the universe put that kind of effort into saving you and then not help you? Why would he rescue you from sin and then not help you in your marriage? Why would he give you the Holy Spirit and then, not, and then withhold wisdom from, from you in parenting? I hear all the time, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to pick the wrong college, or I'm, I'm going to pick the wrong job, or uh, you know, I'm going to live in the wrong city, or I'm going to marry the, the, the wrong person. And, and so what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Christian, as we pray, be reminded that God has more invested in your life than you do. If God is going to put forward His own beloved Son in our place, He's going to see that the ongoing work of our salvation is moving forward. He will see us through to glory. The, the cross assures us of this ongoing, unfailing, everlasting love of God for His saints. And that does not mean that life is going to be experienced on easy street. That's not at all what Paul is saying. This is what he was saying last week. And so, if, if you're hearing that, that you're not hearing what, what Paul is, is talking about. I came across this voice. I was listening to some different speakers this week and came across uh, this, this verse. It was in uh, Luke chapter 12. Uh, one of the passages that I try to revisit often is, is Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' longest recorded sermon. And there's, there's echoes of this, this sermon in other parts of the Gospels. Uh, so Luke kind of has a, a version of the sermon in Luke 6, but in, in Luke chapter 12, there's, there's even echoes of the sermon. How many, how many times have you heard uh, a preacher repeat himself? <laughs> My wife told me last week, you know, I, I shared a story last week. She said, you've told that story before. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but if, if God gives you a good story, you got, you got to steward it. So, some of you, some of you know how long you, you've been here at Homewood because, you know, if you've, if you've heard my, my same story, you know, two or three times, that, that equates to so many years that you've been at Homewood, right? There's echoes. Jesus even does this in the Gospels. There's echoes of Jesus' language in other parts of the Scripture. So, in Luke chapter 12, verse, verse 31, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Where, do you, where have you heard that? That was, that was in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33. But this, this next verse is, is one that, that I've, I've just been, been ruminating on. You know what the next verse says, verse 32, Luke 12? Do not be afraid, little flock, <laughs> for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Uh, just sit with that. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Like way before it was Chick-fil-A's pleasure, it was God's pleasure. See, and that, that 
that walks all over some of the theology that maybe some of you grew up with. Because you, you didn't grow up with a, a God who had pleasure in doing anything. You grew up with a God who was just waiting for you to mess up. You grew up with a, a God who was uh, wrathful and, and, and vengeful, and, and he's just sitting up there like a, a puppet master waiting for, for you to, to do the wrong thing. And so when we think about something being God's good pleasure, it was his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's the kingdom? It's where the king dominates. It's, it's his reign and his rule in, in our lives. And it's his pleasure to give you the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Just pleasure. So seek that first. Seek his, his rule and his reign first in your life. And everything else will, will be added. It's not some divine obligation. It's not some moral duty. It, it's the good pleasure of our heavenly father. Which leads us to question three. Who will bring any charge? Verse 33. Against those whom God has chosen. Now, we're going to talk about more of this next week. But did God choose you or did you choose God? Yes. That's all we're going to say about that this week. We're going to, we're going to talk about that more next week. Why must Paul ask this question? Because we have an enemy that does what? Accuses us day and night. Revelation 12. This is what the enemy does. He accuses us day and night. How many times has the enemy brought up in your life a past sin? How many times has your mind been consumed with, with guilt and shame? And how can you at that very same time take every th th thought captive, as, as Paul's going to say elsewhere, and, and make it obedient to Christ? We have an accuser. He's very good at his job been doing it a lot longer than you have. Paul seems to be drawing on this passage from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 50, verse 8. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. Verse 9. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Which leads right into question number four. Who then is the one who condemns? Verse 34. There's, there's this passage in 1 John uh, that I've, I've grappled with over, over the years. And in verse 18, 1 John 3 John, remember John, he, he wrote the, the Gospel of John, also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, also penned Revelation. These five books are attributed to, to John. Verse 18, 1st John 3, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. And then verse 20, here's what it says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. See, th this, is, this is what we're, we're taught growing up and in culture. Just follow your heart. 
do what makes you happy. But what if my heart doesn't align with God's heart? That becomes a problem. And so the, the psalmist would say in Psalm, Psalm 37, he would say to de- delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So, so make your desires God's desires, and then God will give you those desires. Make sense? And so our hearts, God is greater than what? God is greater than our hearts. And I want to put my, my faith and trust in something that's greater than my heart. The resurrection demonstrated that the Father accepted the Son's sacrifice, and if we are in Christ, then Christ's victory is our victory. And catch this, Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It's really hard, catch this, it's really hard for me to imagine a more peaceful thought than knowing that Jesus is interceding on my behalf. When, when you uh, pray for me, it is, it is a humbling, humbling thing. When I, I got a, a message this morning of somebody who was praying for me, it's a humbling thing. But when Jesus prays for you, don't, don't let this little phrase that that Paul inserts in here, because you can also find it in Hebrews 7, Hebrews 9, uh, 1 1 John 2. On the count of three, I want you to say your first name. One, two, three. Brett. That's who Jesus is praying for. He sits at the right hand of God. He's interceding on your behalf. Which leads us to the fifth question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. One one author says, Paul knows that Christians can sometimes fail to be deeply moved by the love of God, so he puts the rhetorical pedal to the homiletical metal. Now, unless you're a nerd like me, that just, you're like, okay. But I love that thought because he's convincing Christians of the love of Christ for them. He wants them to know that that Jesus not only defends us, but he also loves us. And one of my brothers, uh, Chris Richardson, says on staff, he not only loves us, but he likes us. Jesus enters this relationship with us, and nothing can separate us from him. And you say, yeah, that's that's a neat sermon. But, but you don't know my feelings of inadequacy. Or you don't know what it's like to live with my own inner critic. And I'm not here to tell you today that these phrases are going to magically make all that go away because as, as human beings, we're often far more complex than that. But what I am telling you is that there is nothing you can do to make Christ love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. Others at school may not think, listen to me, students. Others at school may not think that you have value. Folks in the, in the workplace may not appreciate you. You may even feel like you are invincible within the, the walls of this church. 
Do people really know me? Because if they, if they really knew me, these are all thoughts that are, are planted in our, our heads through the enemy. But the creator of the universe, he knit you together. He bought you with the blood of his son to rescue you. He put his Holy Spirit in you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Church, do you actually think that your opinion is more important than God's opinion? Do you actually believe that in your heart of hearts? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? Paul says, who? So why does Paul say who and then proceed to, to list all these inanimate objects? Why, why would Paul do this? It's as if Paul's like setting up this contrast to, to, to show you that the, the who on your team is a lot more mighty than the who's on their team. And then he gets to verse 36, and he, he, quotes, it's, he quotes this psalm. Psalm 44, 22, a psalm of complaint to God in the midst of suffering. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And this suffering, if you go and read Psalm 44 today, this, this suffering that is, is in the psalm, and it actually kind of sets up in, in Psalm 43, has not come because of Israel's infidelity. This suffering has come about despite the fact that Israel has been faithful. I believe here's the point. God will save his people not despite their sufferings, but through and even because of their suffering. Somehow, as in Colossians 1.24, the sufferings of God's people are taken up into God's purposes. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, a conqueror is someone who defeats an enemy. So what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? See, if, if God just delivered you from your suffering, then you would be a conqueror. You would have conquered your suffering. But the fact that he takes the suffering that you are in and transforms you into his good purposes for his glory makes you more than a conqueror. And what the enemy meant for evil through trouble and hardship and persecution and famine, only God can work for good. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Who will bring any charge? Nobody. Who then is the one who condemns? Nobody. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
nobody. And who gives generously? Somebody. And his name is Jesus. Church, I want to encourage you to allow these truths, four things, to to lead you to worship. Allow these truths to lift you from despair. Allow these truths to, to show you what unites diverse believers. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different stories. But, but what unites believers is found in these truths. And allow these truths to embolden you for mission. Who will you share these truths with this week? Here's one way we ask it on the board out in the foyer. Who's your one? Who's your one? I want to pray about that. I also want to pray about just what's happening uh, in your life and invite you to, to, to take a moment to ask the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God does. That is to, to move us to a place of not just knowledge and understanding, but to move us to a place of practice. What is the Spirit of God inviting you to do in that regard. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this amazing chapter in in the Bible. This gem among gems. And we realize that, that Romans 8 is situated in a larger context in the whole letter. But we're thankful that we can we can zoom down just for a few moments and, and see the beauty that's there and be reminded of, of the truths that, that we stand on. Father, your son said that on this rock I will, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, in the midst of, of life and the things that are going on, may, may we reclaim what you have said. May we be reminded that your promises are yes and amen. And Father, may we be reminded that it's because of your Son that we can claim these promises, his death, his burial, his resurrection and the kingdom that he ushered in. And we pray that your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.